Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we're back, and let's get right to the phone so we can spend as much time with this next gentleman as possible. He's always a tremendous resource to the show from Tightline Outdoors, Nate Delinsky. Good morning, Nate. Come on, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing okay. The sun was shining. It's a little cloudy. We're going to have a few warm days, and then it's going to get cold for three, four days. And I don't want to call it a shoulder season yet because we should be in winter, but it sure looks like a shoulder season to me. Now, first of all, are you at a tournament today? I am. I am at Echo Reservoir, which is uh, in Colville, which is roughly speaking about 15 minutes north of Park City uh, in Utah. And, and it's a great event. Honestly, Terry, we have had snow and somewhat, you know, sideways blowing snow for two days. But right now it's 40 degrees. The sun's out, no wind. Uh, it, it's an amazing day here, here at an event in Utah, and we're excited to be here. And then you have one more event coming up in Colorado, I believe. You want to tell us about that? That is correct, yeah. We're going to be at Grand Lake. So back to Grand Lake on February 20th, uh, and we're excited to be there. Again, we keep talking about how we're standing with Grand, supporting a town uh, you know, that obviously had major tourism change, uh, you know, everything from COVID to fires to lack of snow for the snowmobile season. Uh, a lot of the things that, that really thrive and make Grand Lake what it is have been affected this year. Uh, so they're relying on ice fishing to support that town. and So it's a great fishery. It's a great place to be i mean you can literally park your car and stay at a hotel in grand and you can walk onto the ice and fish our tournament uh i mean restaurants are even delivering food down to the ice so a really neat place to have that final tournament of the 2021 season uh and we're excited to go there we're going to see rainbows at that event we're going to see browns at that event and we're going to see a lot of lake trout so it's a nice event to have a variety of fish and in the past it hasn't really taken a lot of large fish you know anything in that three to five pound range generally does really well. So everybody's in the game, whether you're targeting rainbows, Browns or Lakers. Uh, so it's, so it's a really neat event. We're excited. And that's going to be February 20th. Uh, and so far today here in Utah, we've seen a lot of stuff we've seen. I think we've seen right around 80 perch get weighed in. We've seen rainbows, we've seen Browns, uh, and we had our first carp ever brought to the scale here in Utah. So a uh, wide variety of species here at echo. So it's exciting to be here. Right, and we'll talk more about that upcoming tournament in the next couple of weeks, but I want to get back to our original statement, and that was that we're kind of in what feels like a shoulder season. It feels a little early, but we've got the sun is getting higher in the sky, and even though we've got three or four cold days coming, there are lots of good ice fishing opportunities yet, but the front range is starting to make me think open water. Where are you at on all this? You know, Terry, it, it kind of is what it is. We, as a sportsman, we're so fortunate to be in Colorado to have such a variety of opportunities for angling. I mean, open water, you know, on reservoirs to rivers to ice fishing uh, and everything in between. And honestly, I hate to say it, but we, we build ice on the front range, generally speaking, fairly quick. I mean, we see ice in December, uh, you know, around Christmas, we were locked up fishing hard. But once our ice deteriorates, once it goes, um, it rarely comes back. I mean, in early stages, you know, in like 2005, we had a season where we lost the ice and built it back up again. Uh, but ever since 2005, generally, once that ice is gone, it's gone. Uh, and Cherry Creek is icing out extremely fast. It is more open water than ice. Chatfield, uh, you know, in particular, is probably right now right around that, say, 
70% or 65% open water versus ice. So there's a lot of open water out there. Um, now, some species aren't going to thrive in that, and some species are going to thrive in that. So you look at, like, your smallmouth bass at Chatfield. They're going to remain in deep water. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to open the boats until March 1st. So we're not going to see a huge influx on, like, the bass at some of these fisheries. But our walleyes, literally within the next week, by the next time I come on this show, we're going to start seeing our, our walleyes, in particular our males, going into a pre-spawn stage. So the walleye fishing on the front range uh, is going to be a shoreline bite, but literally daytime fishing where you're casting jigs and little swim baits to nighttime throwing jerk baits to these fish are in shallow water. We are going to be presented with a, a shoreline walleye bite at these front range fisheries. We're also seeing fisheries like Pueblo that are open for boating year round. Um, as we start going a little further into the season, um, obviously the water warms up. We're going to see more of those fish going into a pre-spawn state and you're definitely going to see an increased activity of those walleyes and some great action for, for catching them. Um, not to mention and one of the probably the most overlooked front range species. You know, years ago, uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife did a ton of stocking of trout, and these really front range fisheries were known to be trout fisheries. In the past, you know, say even decade, they've really kind of hints to be more of a walleye fishery, even bass fishery. But you can't overlook the fact that we have some great trout fishing in these bodies of water. And honestly, the, this mid February is, or you know, early to mid February, is probably the peak for those rainbows on this front range. They gather, they get ready to go into their spawn phase. So you can go to like a chat field um, right in the North Shore boat dock that has some ice some open water whether you're on the ice or the open water you have a lot of trout and some good trout moving into that bay um, also as your inlets open up especially like the south flat right where the south flat feeds into that body of water you're getting a ton of really big trout staging right there um, and then you're getting predator fish coming in as they get ready to spawn so you're getting browns moving in you're getting big walleyes moving in um, so that so the honestly the open water season has started i'm not saying to pack up your ice gear i'm not saying to, to totally switch gears um, and we still have in the mountains we still have you know a month or two months or multiple months um, of ice so I'm not saying pack it up but on a nice day uh, if you don't want to make a trip up to the hill then you you know you just got that itch to get out there is opportunity on the front range for some open water fishing and between the trout and the walleye it's definitely something that you can have some good days with it with the long rod out here so keep that in mind um, and one of the things I want to talk about too before I jump in here is I always encourage people to plan their seasons. I've had so many questions this week about that. What should I do? And all species have peaks and have lows. And so many anglers stick to one species and they ride it out. And they have some great days and they have some slow days. Right now is that time of year to where I, I basically look at the species that I want to catch right now. And I try to capitalize on the peaks. So right now through the ice, especially in the mountains, not so much on the front range, but in the mountains, right now I'm actually kind of laying low on the rainbows. I do a ton of trout fishing in 11 Mile and Taro and, and a variety of other fisheries. But right now I'm slowing down the rainbow trips. I'm not guiding as much. Uh, I'm not promoting those trips. Right now we're, we're really capitalized on lake trout. The lake trout bite is fantastic. We're getting big lakers. We're getting lots of them. So that, that laker bite is good. I'm hitting that hard right now. Then literally in the next week or two, we're going to start seeing those pike coming in strong. Um, so I start doing a lot of pike fishing starting right around that February 15th, 20th, somewhere right there. And then at that last week of February, I put a lot of emphasis back on the trout. Once we start seeing those trout really going into pre-spawn up in the mountains, that increases. But the moral of the story, really think about what you want to catch and try to target the fish that are most active. Uh, you know, as oxygen is getting a little low right now in some of the trout fisheries, 
give them a break for a little bit. Go lake trout fishing. Go pike fishing. Go target the other species. Go shoreline fish for some walleyes. And then as we start getting in a little bit more of a springtime condition, oxygen levels increase. And that's when those big trout are going to go crazy again. So more importantly, think about your seasons. Try to time your seasons appropriately. If you don't quite know what to do, you know, shoot us a message on Facebook or just try to get some, some intel. But trying to capitalize on the most active fish is going to make for a lot better days on the water. So I highly encourage anglers to do that. And a lot of the lakes that are prominent, Lake Trout Lakes, take a little longer to freeze. But once they lock up, They'll stay frozen for, like you said, at least another couple months or more. And you get lakes like Granby, Grand, where you're going to have your tournament, Blue Mesa, um, Williams Fork, and some of the other lakes that have lake trout. They're probably going to have pretty substantially good ice for quite some time. That's it. You know, we, we obviously, we try not to go by a calendar. We try to fish conditions for what they are. Um, you know, sometimes getting too connected to a calendar can hurt you. But on the average year, we usually are still pike fishing and still lake trout fishing in April on most of these bodies of water. Now, you have early springs, and there's times we're on our boats. But generally speaking, we really have a, a great bite for especially pike and lakers all the way up into April. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a lot of the season left. So, so plan your time accordingly and try to capitalize when those fish are, are active the most um, and and that's a great technique and you know just quick shout outs um, obviously the lake trout bite's going good if you want big fish we're fishing big baits in shallow water if you want big pike same type thing if you want numbers of pike we're using small techniques rattle bait uh flashy bait if you want big pike we're fishing big dead bait um, you know some people frown upon it but Pike are it, it's, I don't want to say it's an old school technique because it's so effective but you want big pike it's all about the tip up and big dead bait, big dead suckers, big dead smelt. That type technique under a tip up, uh, fishing weed lines, fishing shallow water. It's simply the best technique for some big fish. So you can keep the the prominent species of pike and lake trout. You can keep it very simple. It's about big baits. Put it in front of those fish, and you're going to increase those odds of catching those fish. You know, I want to turn back too to what you said earlier about the open water on the front range. Now, the two major species that tend to come and play first, you mentioned, were the trout that move to shore and get aggressive, and the walleyes who get into their pre-spawn. The trout are probably the most uh, predictable, or they continue the action. Like any fishing can be good or bad, but the trout tend to stay with a steadier bite. The action's a little more sustainable. The walleyes in the spring, especially with weather changes and everything, can really turn on and off. But we talk about times of the year to catch big fish. And there's a couple times of the year that big walleyes tend to be more vulnerable. One is spring, one is fall. Well, fall, they're still fattening up. Spring before the spawn, almost every record walleye that's caught comes within the next couple months, don't you think? 100%, Terry. I mean, and there's a couple reasons. Number one, uh, I, I, so many times, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but so many of those big female walleyes in Colorado and our western reservoirs, even into Wyoming, it's so rare for those fish to get near structure. So much of the life of a mature female walleye is spent, suspended. It, it's not that they're hard to catch. It's simply for the fact that, you know, they're living 15 to 20 feet, you know, ab- above 30 or 40 feet. They're suspended. And not as many anglers in Colorado as, say, the Midwest really focus on targeting those fish. So it's not that they're necessarily 
hard to catch as far as getting them to eat a bait. It's more they're living in a zone of the water that is hard to pick apart. So it's more the technique is hard. Uh, as opposed to spring, right now, pre-spawn for a female, they have a little bit of irritation. So they're a little grumpy. They're a little aggressive. Then you have the concept of them really wanting to gain some weight before they go through spawn. So you put the aggressiveness mixed with the, the kind of the need for some food. Then you top it off with the idea of these fish are actually going to be up in the shallow areas. They're going to be on points. They're going to be on dam faces. They're going to be in areas where they're gathered and they're predictable. And that's what increases the odds of that success. Um, I mean, so much of the sport is viewed as luck. But in reality, if you build patterns, you think about how the whole process works, you can dial everything in. Um, and in regards to this particular thing, you're capitalizing on those three opportunities. And that's what increases your odds at some of the biggest fish of the season. Nate, we are running out of time. If people want more information about your events, your tournaments, your guide service, how do they find you? You can go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com. Again, when ticket sales are open for Grand Lake right now, uh, you can always jump on Facebook and watch some information there. Uh, every, everything's always available there. Uh, just a lot of information. Facebook, uh, as well as the website, Tightline Outdoors. And again, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue this talk. I think we're really going to break down the big lake trout. We're also going to really break down the content of this real big pike here in Colorado. All right, my friend, we will talk to you next week. Perfect. Thank you, sir. You bet. Nate Flinsky, Tightland Outdoors, great resource. Hey, we got a bunch of stuff coming up. Dan Swanson's going to join us in the next segment. We're going to talk electronics, both for ice fishing and for open water. There's been so many changes. We're going to talk some competitive shooting, both on a recreational basis and if you want to get more serious about it. Um, and I want to mention again, the director, Dan Prenslow, will be on the show next week. I'm going to put a post out on Facebook probably today and then again on Monday or Tuesday. And if you have questions, he has agreed that if we get enough questions and they're on certain topics, that he will address those questions on the air live next week. So if you have some things that you want to talk to the Parks and Wildlife about, things you're not sure about, things you wonder if they're the right thing, this is going to be your opportunity. I will put those posts on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. So follow us there. Make your comments or message us there, and we'll run as many questions as we can by the director next Saturday. We'll take a quick time out, and we come back. We're going to talk electronics with Dan Swanson on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, locations up and down the front range. Let's go right to the phones. Uh, Joining us, he's uh, a good friend of mine, he's probably the authority on uh, electronics for fishing in this part of the country. And we're going to talk to him about a couple things, both ice fishing and open water electronics, and that's Dan Swanson. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Terry. You know, there's a couple things that I want to address with you. One is uh, the changes in ice fishing, and the other one is the overwhelming amount of opportunities for electronics in open water and what they mean to people and how much should they spend. But let's start out with ice fishing. And I'll make the original statement, the fact that, or the opening statement is that if you went back into the 80s, every one of us that ice fished used a mechanical flasher with the Vexlar being the most popular. And we didn't use graphs very much. And we did that because the graphs had a processing time from the time I moved my lure, even though I could see it on the screen, Until I saw the fish react, there were several seconds of delay, 
And it really wasn't as easy to tell what was going on with the fish where the flashers were instantaneous. I'll tell you a few years, and I still own two Vexlars. A few years ago, maybe over a decade ago, I really switched to using graphs for ice fishing because that processing delay has virtually gone away. And I think that the graphs are every bit as responsive as the flashers now. Is that what you feel or is that what you see? Yeah, for a couple of reasons. One, if you go back... You go back to, um, you know, a long time ago, like you're talking about, the LCDs that were used, you know, for the displays on these kind of graphs were really, really cold weather sensitive. And what you found was that they just didn't work very well in cold weather. So that was one of it. And also, you know, microprocessors and electronics just in general are so much faster than they were in, in those days. I, I think we're finding is that a lot more people are taking the units that they have on their boats or kayaks and they're taking them out on the ice. And I think a couple of the main reasons are that they, they know how to use them already, right? So, and flashers are a mystery for a lot of people, and there is a learning curve along with it. And I, there's nothing wrong with flashers, by the way. I happen to like using them myself. But I'm seeing more and more and more people moving the sonars from their boats or buying a dedicated unit for ice fishing because they are, in reality, a, a, a lot easier to use. Well, and I, yeah, and I think not only are they, you're more comfortable, you're familiar with them, but I find that the history you see, a flasher takes constant attention because there's no history left on the screen. It shows you a flash when there's a reading there, and you can see the movement, and they are very instantaneous, and, and they're still very effective for ice fishing. If you like using a flasher, we're not telling you to stop. But they're so, with the color screens and the the history you see of what happened that you can look down and have seen the reaction. I think more and more people are just, it's just easier for them. Like you said, so what do I have to spend? Let's say I don't have one on my boat or, or I, or I don't want to take it off my boat to get an, uh, a graph type unit for ice fishing. How much money do I have to spend? I think if you want the, if you want the, the cheapest thing you can find, so there's no GPS, which means no maps. And by the way, that's another great reason to take a, a sonar out onto the ice is you've got, we have the availability of wonderful maps right now. You know, Colorado, uh, people in Colorado have been logging data and uploading it to the Laurent social map site now for, it's been five, six years. And our, ma- our lakes are really, really pretty darn well mapped. But that's one of the great reasons for having it. But if you want a unit without mapping, because you don't care, you're on some little pond and all you care about is, you know, you the places you normally fish, you can get into a system like that with, with an inexpensive fish finder, um, a case, a transducer, battery, the charger for the battery, all of that for about $230. Yeah, and it's that's, you know, a really reasonable investment because, folks, if you are just started ice fishing this year and you're not using electronics, um, you'll be just amazed. It'll double or triple your catch. It'll make it more fun. It, it just uh, If you want to see what it's like, I did a show on my YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, where I went up to North Michigan Reservoir, used my electronics, and uh, had a chip in it, and caught a bunch of fish, then brought that chip back to my computer and went over the reactions, the fish reacting to the bait, the bait going down, all those things, and you'll see how readily it, it works. And we're going to talk about this in open water, too. But what about in the 
the things like down view, side view, all the different things we have now, how many of those come into play through the ice, do you think? Honestly, I don't use I don't think the side scan and down scan are all that useful on the ice. And the main reason is, is that if you look at your um, the traditional 2D sonar, or is what we call 2D sonar, it's it's got a cone-shaped um, image that it's looking down onto the bottom, and you can see your jig, you can see your fish all with, within that cone. When you start looking at things like side scan and down scan, the, the cone e- effectively is just a, a thin slice in the water, and it's really hard for you to see your your jig and that sort of thing in the water so they're they're not that terribly effective unless you can turn them somehow they need motion to be useful and sitting on the ice obviously you have no motion um there are the higher end things like the like the new lawrence you know like the the live site which has been out for a couple years or the new active target which is more of a real-time sonar but now you're talking big money yeah, there's there's a mod you can spend. There are units by every manufacturer out there that give you. But you can, I mean, there's a limit. We're talking mostly people maybe getting started and figuring their way out. So you talked about maps. So if I want to go from the basic unit up to maybe a unit that has mapping, what am I looking like for in cost? You're looking more like in the $350 range. Okay, so we're still not talking outrageous. And, and that mapping, like you said, sometimes just, looking at that map on your sonar and realizing there's a, a drop-off or a hump that's only 20 feet away from you, that that short move might make all the difference, can really aid your fishing or the ability to save waypoints when you find that spot on the lake. Before we run out of time, let's transition to open water. It's going to be on us sooner than we think. Um, a lot of people, I mean, you can't open a magazine nowadays without seeing a million pictures of all the different types of down view, side view, forward views, uh, mapping. So I'm buying an, uh, my first fishing boat or I'm putting electronics on my old fishing boat. Take me through, you know, what you think are the levels and what I gain when I move up. Yeah, I think the, the, the first thing that I tell people is get the biggest screen you can afford. One that will fit on the boat because you got to have room on the boat, but also what's in your budget. And the and the basic thing is is a again depending on where you fish, traditional 2D sonar is perfectly adequate most of the time, and with the ability of maps, I want GPS and mapping as well if I can. So it, it all really depends on your budget. Um, a seven-inch unit to me is I shouldn't say the minimum, but that's kind of what I would like to shoot for is about seven inches. There are some great five-inch units out there as well. And then when you start to move up in in and, you know, you're starting at, uh, like I said, about that $350 range going up from there, depending on the size of the screen. The next thing I would look at is downscan. I would probably, that's the, the next thing I would add after I've got GPS and sonar, I'll add downscan. And again, that helps me interpret what I'm really seeing on the bottom. Rocks look like rocks. Uh, trees look like trees. Uh, you know, that's just something that I, that helps you interpret what you're really seeing on your 2D. What I like to say is I fish for fish that I see on my 2D, so I can see the fish, I can see my jig, I can see how they're reacting to it, but I use my down scan to find the fish and to find the the cover that the fish are on. Okay, and there seems to be no endless amount of different types of scans. Um, You can spend three, four, five thousand dollars or more if you wanted to totally outfit your boat. 
where are some of the points where maybe I'm really going to aid myself? Is you know, first of all, I want to make the point. I'll make this comment that you have to understand fishing to a point before the electronics will help you catch fish. I mean, if That's you don't true. understand, if you don't understand presentation, don't know where to start looking. The, the electronics are going to be good, but they're probably not going to aid you as much as you think. But now, so if I jump up and I really want to go big, what are some of the newest things that are really just beneficial? Well, the newest things that are out there, we talked a little bit about the live scan stuff. But if if I look at a a unit that's in that uh, $1,000 range, I can get side scan, which allows me to look to both sides of my boat, 300 feet in each direction. I can look for rocks. I can actually look for fish. I, I use that as well as, and that's combined with my down scan, my side scan, my 2D, and my and my maps. I can get into a system like that for about a thousand dollars for a seven-inch screen. Um, at that point, your costs go up mostly depending on how big the screens get. Then you start thinking, then you start looking at once you start get a little more money into it. You're, now you're looking at networking between multiple units you got one on the bow one on the back you can share waypoints from one to the other you share maps you can share sonar screens from one to the other in my case i'll do something like i'll split my screen i'll have i'll have the the transducer on my trolling motor in the in the front and my transducer from the trolling motor in the back on the screen at the same time when i'm pulling bottom bouncers i can tell when i'm getting shallow and i can make that move before the back end of the boat gets too shallow so that you start getting into all of that stuff and again, about thousand bucks is the starting point for that. Then, as you get into higher end units, you know, you again bigger screens. Now you've got the new live sonars out there that are available, and that's a fifteen hundred dollar transducer on top of what you spent on the on the sonar. And as you start getting more and more and more stuff on the screen, now you either want more screen area or possibly multiple units all connected together by networks. So it's easy to spend ten thousand dollars on a on a you know a complete setup on a whole boat if you really want to do it. Right, and I think that there's times and places and people that have the discretionary income, but I I think the message I want to leave people with is if you're new to fishing, getting your first boat, you know, spend the money like you said, you know, get the basics, just get a reputable unit and learn to use it. Wouldn't you think that's probably the biggest thing is people never really learn to interpret their units? Oh, I think that's 100% of it. You can spend all the money you want, and if you don't understand, like you said, fish behavior. So how important are maps if you don't understand how fish relate to, to, to structure, right? <laughs> so so that's, in, that's a key. But also learning how to use the unit. So many people have no idea what these things are capable of, which is one of the reasons we teach classes for that. So, um, you know, right. so it, it, opening your manual and, and reading it and learning it, that's important. So if people, we got to run, Dan, but if people have questions or they want to take a class from you, um, how would they get a hold of you? The easiest way to get a hold of me is send me an email. It's just dan at fishfulthinker.com. All right, my friend, um, I appreciate the information. I think it's valuable. We'll be boating in probably less, almost about a month here. We'll have the boats on the water, and a lot of people are getting ready, and the ice fishing will go on. So good, great information, Dan. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. We'll talk to you later, Terry. All right, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Dan Swanson, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we're going to talk both competitive shooting, both as a recreational event, or maybe if you want to take it more seriously, that and so much more coming up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. 
You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. If you're headed in the outdoors, make Jack's your first stop to get your equipment, gear, and great information. Speaking of great information, let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Clays is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Hello, Terry. Good morning to you as well. Good morning. You know, we've had tons of people getting outdoors more than ever you know, people that used to try to get outdoors all the time have been stuck tra- not traveling or taking trips because of COVID and no youth sports. We've got people for the same reasons going back to the outdoors. And we've got people new to the outdoors looking for ways to spend their time outdoors and get into activities. Uh, they just, you know, lives have changed. And one of the, we don't talk enough about how shooting is just an incredible outdoor activity that not only for all the reasons we've talked about before, but it can be just fun. And you guys have different opportunities. We'll get into some of those as far as get-togethers and 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 company parties and things. But you also have a thing coming up called Trap League. And I find out that even though that's a casual competition, people tend to get sometimes it just gets the juices going. They have a little more fun. And does that allow them maybe to take it to another level eventually, too? Uh, Well, of course, Terry. And, you know, you bring up two good points. So, of course, the big focus nowadays is on that outdoor recreational opportunity. And, you know, with Colorado Clays here, we sit on a giant 110-acre property. And everything we offer as Colorado's premier public shooting facility is either outdoor or semi-outdoor, which, again, works so well with the – with everybody looking for those outdoor opportunities. So when I say semi-outdoor, for example, Terry, the rifle and pistol range, uh, unlike most of them, uh, even though we have a good covered shooting area, individual stalls, all of our downrange has natural light and airflow through the facility, so it works very well. And then, of course, all of our uh, shotgun is outside, meaning the seven regulation ATA trap fields, the two NSSA certified skeet fields, with that wobble trap overlay, our 15-station sporting clays course down through the creek bottom, our shotgun patterning area, our training traps, and, you know, much, much more all outdoors. And, you know, with us being a public facility with no reservation or membership required, handicap accessibility, uh, we're here year-round for the last 25 years. We are the perfect place for a trap league. And as you were saying, the Colorado Clays Trap League um, is a Wednesday night league. They're 12-week-long league starting March 24th, so make that note. And uh, here's the thing, Terry. I think the number one thing I hear people tell me um, when, when we mention Trap League is, hey, I'm maybe not a real good shot or my friends and I aren't. And actually, um, that's the reason you should sign up for the Trap League. Um, I think most people just don't understand that the Colorado Clays Trap League has the competitive element that makes it really exciting, but still, like you said, Terry, our focus is on fun. And I think it's important to note that we always break all of the teams into brackets so that everyone here is actually shooting and competing against teams with similar skill levels. So you always have a chance to improve, you know, improve your rank as the season goes along. And I hear it all the time. Most people end up drastically improving their shooting skills because they're doing that weekly league. So if anything, um, this is just one step in the right direction for anybody that feels like they want to get better or move into other types of competitive shooting. No, you're absolutely right. I find everything 
every even friendly competition that doesn't have to get makes us better. We focus like when you and I fish together, even though I you know, normally never lose to you. It does make us friendly in our comments. <laughs> but, Keep but, it friendly now, Terry. Come on. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? It, it makes it fun, too, because you get a little trash talk. You have a little fun. And, and whether it's, you know, trap league, a bowling league, tennis league, whatever you're doing fishing, it's always fun. And, you know, a lot of people think of shooting shotguns especially as hunting practice, where I'll bet that a huge huge number of the people that shoot at your facility do very little hunting it's the shooting itself that is their recreation well and you're absolutely right terry and the beauty of colorado clays is that we host and offer the competitive aspect at all levels so for example today we're having the season over for the national sporting clays association on our course um, we got a bunch of people here these guys are very competitive um, that is what they like to do. But we see them throughout the entire year practicing on our course. And also, uh, Trap League being competitive, but on the fun note, we also have fundraisers. So those have a competitive aspect. They have prizes. Um, they have trophies. And anybody can buy into them knowing that your entry fee also supports a great cause. Uh, the bottom line still, focus on fun focus on supporting the cause, but has that fun competitive aspect. Other corporate uh, places do events for their customers, for their employees, and uh, do the same thing. Always try and add a little bit of element of competition in there, uh, oftentimes structured so that just being the best shooter isn't the one that necessarily wins everything. And i got to tell you, Terry, we even have a few groups, some are family, some are uh, just friends that do their create their own little leagues here at Colorado Clays. And I'm always glad to talk to someone about getting a group of people, whether it's a small one, 20, 30, forming their own little league, and we find a way to make that opportunity available to them so they can also practice with their own competitive elements. So Colorado Clays really is the perfect place if you want to just have something a little more than just standard practice. Okay, now let's just say that I do some trap league. I do some things, and I, I, you know, we all get a little. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good at this, and I want to think about stepping up maybe into some other types of competition. Do you have a way to help people with that? And what are the levels they can go to? Well, Terry, there's no end really to um, how high of a level you can go to if you choose to dedicate yourself to that. But one thing that I would really suggest anybody wanting to move on, before you just dive into something, remember that Colorado Clays uh, has classes available. We have instructors for individual, and we do have lots of instructors associated with Colorado Clays that are very specific to very uh, certain games out there using shotguns, clay targets, pistols, rifles, or what have you. And many levels of expertise and credentials are available for you to learn from. So certainly everything's here at Colorado Clays. Uh, we do these competitions, we host things, and uh, but the training level is also available either through our staff or through associates of Colorado Clays for anything you might want to do. And a lot of times it's nice to talk to someone about what is it like, you know, what is out there, what is potential, uh, then you don't have to guess. Uh, first-hand information is always the best, and we definitely have that here. No, you're absolutely right. And 
uh, rubbing elbows with people who are involved is always uh, increases your learning curve exponentially because you talk to people. And, you know, somebody who starts out in trap league a couple of years from now might find themselves traveling the country, shooting events. I mean, there's, there's things that go on all over the country and shooting has become a, a real, um, you've got everything from three gun competitions to pistol and rifle competitions, and certainly all the clay shotgun competitions all over the country. And, you know, it's just another great form of outdoor recreation. Yeah, you're totally right, Terry. And I will say throughout the course of a year, <laughs> Uh, it is amazing how many people come to Colorado Clays, meet them, they get going, and the next thing you know, they're shooting on state and national levels and just loving it. And um, that potential is there for anybody who wants to pursue it and really you know, be in the public shooting facility and having everything at your disposal and all of the uh, elements of training available right here in one facility uh, it's the perfect place to start and check those things out. Now, I want to switch gears on you while we still have a couple minutes left. And the turkey draw was this week. The season doesn't start till the middle of April. But a lot of people, I think that turkey hunting, we're going to see, just like we've seen in every other aspect of the outdoors, we're going to see people that maybe haven't hunt, turkey hunted in the past or maybe that um, have but haven't taken it seriously. They want to get out more. Or maybe they're just advanced and they want to make sure they increase their chances of success. With the availability of ammo or lack of availability and even shotguns or guns, I think that you don't want to wait till like the end of March to start deciding to come in and get your turkey gun pattern, which we've talked about over and over, and deciding on what ammo you're going to shoot because it may not be available. I would think you want to get in there now and maybe buy a couple different brands of ammo, and then you can help them decide what shoots better in their gun? Well, absolutely, Terry, and you're right. Uh, with things how they are now, is definitely the time to be doing that. Uh, and I will say um, that, you know, if you can order or get a hold of some ammo that will be, you know, suitable for your hunt, uh, definitely grab that. Uh, two things, though, like we say, we always want to come out and pattern our gun to make sure that the combination of our gun, our ammo, and our chokes, etc., cetera, um, are going to be effective. But even more importantly, Terry, is if it ends up you only have one load available to you and you couldn't find anything else, come out here, pattern that load, and find out what your maximum effective range is going to be with that load so that you can still have a good, effective uh, shot at ranges that you are familiar with um, prior to go on your hunt. So that's uh, so what I'm telling folks now is with the ammo situation, uh, you may have to make something work that you hadn't planned on or not get the ammo that you were after, but come out here, pattern it, and find out what your effective range is so that you're making good ethical shots. And, you know, Terry, on that note, I will say Colorado Clays, we've been working diligently for quite some time here to make sure that we have all of the popular um, calibers and gauges of ammo available to our customers for use at our range. So uh, the way things are right now, uh, always call out to Colorado Clays because we've been working hard to make sure we have ammo for our customers that want to come shoot as well. All right, my friend, we're out of time, but uh, tell people how they find you. Uh, give us a call, 303-659-7117, or go to our website, coloradoclays.com. Uh, check everything out. Take the virtual tour. 
and uh, certainly give us a call. And remember, Trap League, March 24th it starts, so call out and we'll get you going. We may have to take one more trip on the ice so I can wrest the title of Mr. Ice away from you. (laughs) Okay, you're on. (laughs) All right. We'll talk to you soon, JR. Thanks. Thank you, Terry. You've had J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Great people, and it's a great outdoor activity. We're going to take a time out. When I come back, we'll wrap things up on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I want to remind everybody that the director of Colorado Parks and, Parks and Wildlife Dan Prenslow will be joining us live on the air next Saturday. And we're going to talk about different things going on in Parks and Wildlife. He's been the director for a while now. Find out kind of the state of Parks and Wildlife and everything that's gone on with COVID and funding. Also, he's agreed to take some questions. Now, we're not going to be able to take call in live. But what we are doing, I'm going to put a post on Facebook today, and I'll try to repost it again maybe on Monday. If you follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and then just comment, um, could you ask the director about this? I've wondered about this. This has bothered me. Is there going to be changes to this? I'll kind of compile those and try to get them in the best form I can. And whatever time we have, I'll try to get, he's agreed to try to take on a few of those questions. We may not get to all of them, but the tenor of what you ask in those comments is what's going to help guide that interview. Also, uh, if I, if you want to comment before I get that post off, post up, just message me at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on, uh, on Facebook. Also, you should follow us on Facebook anyway, and don't forget about our YouTube channel. A lot of the stuff we talk about on this show and the fishing department shows up on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. So right now, I want to see if Dan Jacobs is available in studio. Mr. Jacobs, are you there? I am here, and I'm also always available to uh, field outdoor questions anytime. Yeah, well, that we'll we'll put we'll make a note and see if we want to put that somewhere. But uh, I do have two. I have a couple questions for you. But you know, we're gonna everybody's rehashing the game, who's gonna win, and what their sentiment is on how it's gonna play out. You were down in Tampa, and uh, you've been to Super Bowls in the past. So the week before the Super Bowl is typically one event after another, one news media event, one party after another. Well, because we have two major things influencing this year, we have COVID, which obviously puts a damper on a lot of things. And for the first time ever, we have a home team playing in the Super Bowl. What kind of sentiment did you come away with us how different Super Bowl week was? Yeah, it was markedly different. Uh, Pretty much to the point I stopped going down there. I did have a credential I went down. I checked things out at the convention center downtown, and uh, there's just there was just nothing going on. They were just everything was doing you know they were doing stuff virtually. So from a media perspective, uh, there just wasn't a bunch. You know they just really were trying to keep everything safe and to limit that. Now, having said that, on the flip side though, the city of Tampa Bay, you know that whole area, man, they were excited about having the home team. Like all the gear. Like, I, I stopped and I wanted to get a shirt from my buddy who's a Chiefs fan. Like, it was hard to find anything commemorative that had the, the Chiefs on it. It was all about Tampa Bay, and uh, the city was a buzz for, for sure. Yeah, and do you think there was a lot of people maybe kind of pushing the COVID regulations aside, or what were the regulations down there as far as people getting together to kind of celebrate? 
Well, it's Florida, so they have, you know, no rules if they don't want to, but they're really not that much different than here, uh, Terry. Like, most places, they're pretty responsible. You know, we tried to stay out of the restaurants. We did a lot of cooking at home with our own fires and things like that, which I know you appreciate. Um, but, you know, the, the NFL, everything the NFL was doing, they had plenty of protocols in place. Uh, but I would say the rest of the town is, you know, I, I didn't go to clubs after dark or anything like that. But, but outside of that, it was, you know, pretty well done. All right. Well, my friend, I'm going to let you go. I know you're going to talk about the game, the Broncos, upcoming things. There's a lot going on in sports. So I'll wrap this up so you can get your show started. All right, sir. You're listening. All right, thank you. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. We're on this every Saturday from 9 to 11, talking fishing, hunting, camping, outdoor gear. We want to help you get outdoors and make you successful. I want to thank Kyle for keeping us going from the studio down in Denver, Karen for keeping me straight on our studio here in Fort Collins, and all of you for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Follow us on YouTube, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in sports with Dan Jacobs. Get away.